0: Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: The Book of Joe Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello there. Welcome to the Book of Joe podcast with me Tom Berducci and of course Joe Madden. I like to call it the most interesting podcast for baseball on the planet. And if you just found us, welcome. Glad you're here. And if you were with us last week, you heard us talk about the fact that no managers had been fired in the course of the 2023 baseball season. Well, my goodness, things changed in a hurry. Joe, we are now looking at four managerial openings, including the retirement of Terry Francona in Cleveland, Phil Nevin with the Angels, Gabe Kapler with the Giants, Buck Showalter with the Mets, all out. I need to get your take, Joe, on this. And uh, first of all, we need to start with Phil Nevin and the Angels. Obviously, he succeeded you there. Uh, whoever gets that job will be the fifth manager for the Angels in the last
1: seven years. Your quick take on the ouster of Phil Nevin. Good morning. Uh, yeah, um, I was I kind of surprised, I was surprised, really surprised by Kapler. And with Buck, I just didn't know um, where that was going to go, uh, almost like based on mutual uh, considerations. But Phil, see, the thing about Phil and about Cap in particular, and I think to a certain extent Buck although it's almost hard to believe, is that this a lot of this was controlled by the front offices in both cities. I was, I've always thought that Farhan and uh, Gabe were almost inseparable. And then with Phil and, uh, and Perry and, and Alex in that group, I thought they were kind of tight too. And again, when you get so much input from front offices regarding how to do things, it's almost um, incongruent for them to fire somebody that's been actually carrying out their methods or their plans. I, I know exactly how it works with the angels. I, I know uh, how the day works. I know the kind of information given. I know how their meetings are run, and there are plenty of those. So I, again, it's it's hard to uh, for me to put it all together. Uh, again, having lived it, whereas the manager gets takes the blame for a method that is not even their own. It's it used to be more. I don't want to use the word unilateral, but kind of where you're able to. Utilize your own expertise, your own experience, the, own, the things that you've done in the past, and then augment it with uh, the kind of information that can be supplied to you that's impossible for you to collect uh, prior to a series just because there's so much of it. Um, so, again, it, it's it's, it's, curi- it's kind of curious, again, I, I, I don't talk about this in the past, the method uh, incorporated, whereas, again, too, there's so much noise interference Uh, coming from on top to the manager and then have him take the blame for everything. I just don't get it.
5: Yeah. The baseball world certainly has changed. It used to be general managers got one, maybe a second managerial hire. And then it was pretty much, they became on the firing line. I don't think that's necessarily true these days, Joe uh, AJ Preller has gone through a lot of managers in San Diego with a lot of talent uh, and ownership backed him and Bob Melvin recently that they're coming back. But let's get back. You mentioned Farhan with the Giants and Gabe Kapler. It did seem like they were an entry together, so that was a little bit surprising. But in announcing the dismissal, Farhan talked about how he needs to be more open to other suggestions and methodologies. Uh, That doesn't suggest to me that he's going to go in a completely opposite direction, but I do think it means that having a little bit of pushback is actually a good thing and healthy in organization. Listen, Gabe Kapler got fired to me for one reason. They went 8-16 and in September under Gabe Kapler. They lost, this is unbelievable, 28 of their last 34 games on the road. Now, was it just on the manager? No, but as you know, Joe, you're, you're responsible for the one lost record, especially at the end of the season. Phillies under Kapler. A couple of times, did not play well down the stretch in September. You know, if he has a decent September, maybe he keeps his job. Was it because of Gabe? No. I think the roster was flawed. I think we all knew that, and it wound up showing up in September. But as Farhound said, the Giants played their worst baseball of the year in the times when it mattered the most, and that's why he was fired. So I think it does have to be a question of where do the Giants want to go from here. But um, listen I, I I was surprised only because I thought the two of those were tight. Farhan maybe surprised some people when he hired Gabe in the first place but yes, I, I do think like a lo- lot of organizations they need to be more open to other methodologies. there's not one everybody way. dovetail
1: uh, thinking the same way. Well cannot agree more with you on that and again when um, when a team fails in September, why? Um, I know with the Cubs the one year that we didn't do well my last year there. Part of it was was injuries, and part of it was fatigue. Um, when we got beaten by the Rockies in a one-game playoff, we get we won 96 games, and it's considered a bad or 95, and it's not such a good year. But we, we got like one day off out of the last 45 or 46, something to the effect of the season. What I'm driving at is fatigue. Uh, and I know these are young players. I get it. But part of the, the landscape these days, and I, don't, I haven't, wasn't there specifically to see this, but it's the choreography that occurs before the game. It just seems that everybody wants or feels it's necessary to do all this on-field work before a game begins in order to be prepped for the game. Um, I mean, back in the day, it was just primarily batting practice, guys that took ground balls. And there was even a point where we took um, infield. I've always believed, um, and I've had some teams that done really well in the second half, to really prevent fatigue, prevent mental and physical fatigue by not overworking them physically on the field. Uh, I don't even know if the necess- if, if, if groups feel it's necessary um, because a lot of these guys maybe have not gotten all the training that's necessary in the minor leagues before they get there. Uh, I don't know what their inadequacies are or just the fact that we need to see you working to believe that you uh, have earned the right to win tonight, things like that. Uh, and that's always bothered me. Um for me, it's, it's about having a, a grip on what your group is all about. It's about keeping them fresh, both mentally and physically, by the end of the season. Uh, back when I first began with the Angels, Rick Burleson pointed out to me the bad Septembers we were having, and he thought it was because we hit too much uh, on the field. We used to take one-hour batting practice every day, which coming from the minor leagues at that time didn't seem so oppressive to me, because when you're in the minor leagues, you do things like that. Uh, but we were. We were not a good later in the season team with the Angels when I first got there, and a lot of it was, if you keep working them all year long, there is a point of diminishing returns in everything. And so these are the kind of, I don't this would be the first place I would look. Um, what do we do on a daily basis uh, on the field and even to the extent off the field where how much information do we think was necessary in a situation like the Giants? I'd be curious to see if they felt they needed to give them more in uh, late August, September, going into those games and and really try to add more weight to these games and have the players just at, think about them differently as opposed to how they thought about them earlier in the season. This is where I would do my deep dive. I mean, I know the Yankees are wanting to bring in independent operators to try to figure out what went wrong with them. I would I would definitely look at us. I would look internally and try to break down, did we do anything differently in the latter part of the year? Uh, where players making more mental mistakes than they had earlier in the Example: Are they chasing out of the zone where earlier in the year they weren't chasing out of the zone? Pitchers more walks uh, where they were they were trying at certain spots and just couldn't get there. Um, you know, again, mental mistakes on the bases. That that's where I'd be looking to see. A lot of times when you're getting to those mental mistakes, a lot of it to me is based on fatigue. For me, the Giants are just a
5: little too wedded to process. Okay. Um, you know, They're a team that loves to mix and match, and right. they, they they want to throw parades for getting the highest percentage of platoon advantages. Right. Part of that is because, <laughs> Joe, they just don't have a lot of everyday players. The guys who just stick in the lineup in the third and fourth spots, they're constantly pinch hitting. They pinch hit more than anybody, but that's a function of just not having guys you trust to throw out there against right or left. So I think it's it begins with the roster, and I know Gabe has talked about it. He loves managing that way. He loves pushing buttons, pulling levers, and I think you had to do that with the Giants team. But I do think they're a little too wedded to the process, and, and, and even Frahan talked about when you get in a big game in September, you're playing the Diamondbacks. You can't just go about it in the same exact way, right? There, he, he thought there was a little bit of an edge missing when the team needed it the most. Uh, hard to define. I understand that. But again, I'll, I'll say a little too wedded to process and trusting
1: process when sometimes, man, you, you just got to push that door down. I don't know how many times I heard about platoon advantages when I was with the Angels regarding the Giants. Uh, The Angels front office were in love with the Giants front office and how they did things. And I would really, like we talked about this before, I would implore us to just develop our own method, our own schemes, our own system, and don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Again, it's really based on what you have and what you're capable of doing. Uh, The platoon advantage thing to me gets worn out a little bit also. And again, is that because, is that just a function of not having enough money? Or is that a function of we like to tinker and we like to become more involved? There's so many different ways of looking at this. Um, and again, so and I, I cannot disagree with you because you're right and it's true. Uh, but also, again, I, I think there's something to be said with that, an over uh, attention to process and at the same time, an underestimation of what, how fatigue plays into uh, the an entirety of a Major League Baseball season.
5: All right, so let's talk about the Angels in terms of process. Mm-hmm. You know, Phil Nevin had a one-year contract. and Maybe part of that was because at the time, Artie Moreno was planning to put the team up for sale. He did, and then changed his mind once he, the offer started rolling in. So Phil didn't have a lot behind him in, in terms of a commitment from the Angels. He's out. So where does Perry Manasian go from here? I'm looking at guys like Benji Gill, Ray Montgomery, who he, he had as your bench coach there. Maybe if he goes back to his his Atlanta roots, he wants to pull off that coaching staff, which would be Ron Washington, which is a guy in a different direction than Perry probably wants to go in terms of a veteran guy who's not going to be a you know follow process to the T. Interesting, but the the Angels once again, Joe, are in a position where. They're undefined, and Perry Manazian is going into his last year as a general manager. And if you're Shohei Otani, with the kind of discord that's gone on there, the lack of stability, and I know you love playing in Southern California, Shohei, how unattractive or attractive do both of these teams become on the West Coast, knowing that they are both made managerial changes, talking about the Giants and the Angels? Your take on the Angels.
1: Yeah, I, I would bet that they go to the Braves. Um, I bet Perry would go to the Braves. I, You've often spoke glowingly of, of Wash, who's a good friend of mine, and also uh, I think Walt Weiss would be a consideration there too. Uh, that's I talked about um, the Angels' infatuation with the Giants, also with the Braves um, and their methods, and that we're trying to employ the same thing with the, within the Angels. Uh, the difference would be the just the you know the ability on the field, obviously, is going to play into that. So if I had a bet, I would bet that they uh, he would attempt at least to go first to the Braves. And an attempt not only to get one of their coaches, but also a more uh, exact version of their methods, of their meetings uh, that occur before the game and their, their scouting methods, et cetera. I, that would be my take. Uh, Benji Gill would make a great manager. Uh, Ray Montgomery was my bench coach for a bit. But I think, quite frankly, uh, Benji would be more qualified based on his experiences uh, managing in the Mexican League also. So uh, I'd be curious. I'd be curious to see how this all breaks down. Uh, but if I had a bet, I would bet on... Um, Something from Atlanta.
5: Uh, As far as the Giants go, I should have mentioned, I think, some of the candidates. First of all, you have to say Craig Council's name no matter what job is opening out there. He is, to me, going to be the best free agent this side of Shohei Otani. He has told Brewers management ownership that, hey, listen, I'm not ready to commit. I want to see where life takes me at the end of this season. And he's smart. He's leaving his options open. He will be in demand. It could even be that he wants to take a year or two away from the game. He has two sons playing college baseball. He'll have his choice. He'll do whatever he wants to do. But if I'm a team with a managerial opening, I wait to see after the Brewers are eliminated or win the World Series what Craig Council wants to do. I think he's that good. For the Giants otherwise, maybe a guy like Steven Vogt. Uh, I know Farhan had him with the Oakland A's. Uh, Will Venable is going to be a manager for someone. Whether he succeeds Bruce Bochy one day in Texas or gets opportunities now, uh, those are a couple of names that I would look at. Let's talk about the New York Mets. To me, Joe, it was not a surprise. David Stearns comes in as the new president of baseball operations. I believe you must, when you hire someone like that, you must allow him to work with the manager he wants to work with. I think you would agree the most important relationship in baseball for success is the one between the president of baseball ops slash GM and the manager. So inheriting a manager who maybe you don't know uh, that's not the way to start off when you get a superstar GM like David Stern. So I wasn't surprised they made the decision on Buck Showalter. Uh, I don't think it's a, a fait accompli that Craig Counsel is their guy. Uh, I don't know if Craig wants to go to a place like New York and, and the expectations. Uh, he might. I, I'm not saying he doesn't. Um, but let's see how that one plays
1: out in New York. Your thoughts on uh, new management coming in with the Mets. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Even with the Angels, uh, I mean, I was not Perry's guy either. I think mean, that was part of our, our demise there was the fact that they, even though we did get along well, I thought uh, we had a couple of arguments, but that's healthy. Uh, but I still wasn't his guy. And uh, when you're not the guy, if you go through a situation like we do, we had a tough run right there. It's uh, You don't get the same method of loyalty that you would have you been hired by that person. So I, I get it. I totally get it. And I think uh, like Buck... I kind of watched a little bit of his uh, uh, presser when he talked about not coming back. I think that was uh, something that's obvious to him too. All of us. I mean, it's, you want to be connected to that guy. You need, you need that support when things don't go well, man, <clears throat> you need somebody uh, speaking on your your behalf publicly too, where they defend you again, because in today's game, so much of the de- decision-making is done uh, not just from the manager's office and probably more so from, from outside the manager's office. So yes, you want the new uh, president of baseball office is going to definitely want to bring his own guy in. I'm not disputing that whatsoever, because at the end of the day, as a manager, you need to be supported completely uh, by this this, this guy in the front office and the ownership in order to work through some difficult times. The, The good times, you don't need any support. You're playing offense all the time publicly, but when you have to play defense publicly, you need that kind of support. Great point. And uh, I'll throw out other than Craig Council, some possible
5: candidates for that Mets job, because I think David Stearns, uh, he's already mentioned he wants somebody he can, quote unquote, grow with. I think about a couple of guys with the Dodgers, Danny Lehman, Clayton McCullough, who could be major league manager someday if you want to find, quote unquote, the next council. Joe Espada worked with David Stearns in Houston. Ray Montgomery worked with David Stearns in Houston. And you have Eric Chavez, uh, bench coach for Buck Showalter this year. Uh, My only hesitation there, Joe, all of them, no major league experience. That is tough to do to walk into New York. You better know the landscape and you have, let's face it, a team that's going to be built to win. I'm not saying they will win as we saw this year, but expectations right out of the gate are big. It's not a job you grow into as far as learning the New York landscape and putting W's on the board. I'm talking about right away. Uh, you may want to go more experienced there, but let's see what David Stearns does.
1: Yeah. It's, I, I could understand what he said there. Also, again, if you're going to pick somebody with thought experience, um, but somebody that you like and you trust uh, again, the biggest, the biggest item there for me would be the support of him. Uh, David Stearns regarding his manager when things don't go well. Uh, because like I said, I, a lot of this today's world is the fact that uh, there's got to be a certain amount of control coming from the front office to the dugout. And you want to be, these guys want to be comfortable knowing that whatever they want to do is going to be carried out without any argument primarily. So um, I think the, the the idea of taking somebody that lacks experience is actually attractive in that regard, and that they could grow together based on um, probably a, a common uh, philosophy in the beginning. Whereas, uh, again, and please, it's just true that there needs to be this, this ability or this, this way from the manager to the front office that they're going to, he's going to take whatever they'd like to do and do it uh, almost unilaterally from the front office to them. And with that, there needs to be just this uh, unwavering support because Again, when things go badly and they're gonna, you need, you need somebody to step up and defend what you're doing.
5: Oh, well, that was uh, a lot to dive into. And I, I should have mentioned at the top, we also need to talk about the playoffs, Joe. Sure. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break here. And uh, we're going to give you a, a real quick rundown. Playoff preview and picks coming up after this.
4: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. With BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H E L P dot com
2: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever.
0: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Store on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. Yeah, playoff baseball is here, folks. And let's start with the Rays and the Rangers. That sound familiar to you, Joe? Right. <laughs> it happened a couple of times, 2010, 2011. Uh the Rangers got you both times. They did. Uh this is a wild card series at the Trop. Uh give me your off the cuff feel on this this series in the wild card, Rangers at the
1: Rays. Yes, it's a good one. You're right. Back then uh, Adrian Beltre killed us. I think he had three home runs in one game to beat us. Uh, great, tough series, but we they had this thing on us uh, at that time. The Rangers had this thing on the Rays, and we had good teams there, and we just could not go over the, over the top with them. Uh, I think the Rays playoff experience is going to help a lot right here. I think they're pitching too because, and I know some guys have been hurt, I understand that. However, they will do the right thing regarding how to attack the Rangers lineup. For me, how's the right way to attack the Rangers lineup, and that would be to really try to render – Seager, moot. I mean, just really keep him out of it, and and almost like I've said before, uh, give him the uh, uh, Bryce Harper treatment that we did years ago with the Cubs versus the Nationals. I think he's the one guy you just really gotta know where he's at all times. He's he's that guy on the football field. Where is he at all times on the basketball court? Where is he at all the time at all times when he's at home plate? Know that and really um, make your pitches make him swing at what you want him to swing at. And when it's when it's eight, when you're able to don't throw them a strike, just don't. So I think they can't. They can do something like that. They could render them almost smooth and, and really have to attack everybody else. And I and again, I just think the grittiness uh, of the raise is going to pay off, and their experience in these situations is gonna is gonna come uh, to the forefront. I do.
5: Yeah, I agree. Also, the fact that they have these games at home, mm-hmm. the Rays are 53 and 28 tied with the Dodgers for the best home record in the Major Leagues this year. Rangers, they're going to have to slug their way if they're going to win this series. It's a really good offense, only the Braves and Dodgers scored more runs per game than the Rangers. Actually, the Rays were right behind the Rangers as well. This is the best offense the Rays have ever had in terms of run scoring. Uh, If you gave me Jeffrey Springs, Rasmussen, McClanahan, Jason Adam, all these pitchers not available to the Rays because they're injured, that would be a World Series team. I'm not saying they can't get there, but it's amazing that they're still dangerous. It starts with Glasnow, game one starter. The Rays actually are just three and six in his nine postseason starts, ERA over five. He's got the stuff, though, to dominate. The Rays do not let their pitchers go over 100 pitches. It's just the way they operate. That bullpen's deep enough to do that. And the bullpen is advantage Rays. Texas is the first team in postseason history with more blown saves than saves. And that's a Bruce Bochy team. So it's kind of odd to say that. So I'm with you. I'll give the, raise the edge there. Um, the other American League wildcard series, Blue Jays at the Twins. Twins get the home field because they won their division. Blue Jays actually won more games. Give me your take on this series.
1: Well, from the beginning of the year, is Correa going to play? Do we know that yet? That's a lot of questions there. Correa, and yeah, Lewis, right. yep.
5: and yeah, he's probably going to play, but hasn't played much in the last two, three weeks with that plantar fasciitis.
1: Yeah, and that matters. I mean, having not played, having not played, could matter both ways. I mean, could be rusty, but then again, he could be rested. The two R's, right? So I, I don't know. That's that's really interesting because of his history in the playoffs. Uh, I I'm, that would be a big factor, I think, but. I really like, uh, you know, I I said this in the beginning of the year when we talked about this, uh, the pitching, the starting pitching with the, the Twins. I really like it. Uh, I like I like Gray and I like like uh, was it Lopez right? Yep. I, I like these guys and uh, their bullpens outstanding too. So I, and I watched the I watched the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays got a lot of talent, physical talent. They got some nice. Then they got some. I love. I'm a big uh, uh, Gaussman guy. I've, I've liked him. I wanted of The teams that I was on to acquire him, I've liked him for years. Once he came up with the splitter, but they make mistakes, uh, and I, you know, I just defensively, uh, there's and Chapman's wonderful, but I even you know, Bichette at shortstop, I still think he belongs in the outfield. As an example, I mean, things like this that's going to show up. They're going to show up somehow defensively, I think. And the Twins, um, their pitching staff, I think is going to be strong enough to shut down the Blue Jays offensively. So, uh, for those different reasons, I like the Twins in the series. Well, I know one thing. There's going to be
5: a ton of strikeouts. You know, the Twins strike out more than any team in baseball, but their starting pitchers get, I think, their second or third in strikeout rate. Uh, I'm with you on the Blue Jays. They scare me a little bit. You saw last year against Seattle, they did not rise to the moment and got knocked out very quickly. I don't think they have played up to their level of ability. I think this series is a coin flip. I will go with Toronto, though, because I, I, again, I think the injuries for Minnesota scare me a little bit. I don't know at what strength they're going to be, even if the guys are on the field and the strikeouts do bother me. A lot of strikeouts in that lineup. All right, let's switch over to the National League, Joe. Diamondbacks at the Brewers. Now, the Brewers get some bad news that Brandon Woodruff, their really your game two starter behind Corbin Burns, will not be pitching in the series. Don't know if he's out for the rest of the postseason, but that shoulder injury uh, came back again on his last start of the season.
1: So he is out in this series, Diamondbacks at the Brewers. Independent of all of that, um, the Brewers, my experience with them is that they have a grittiness uh, at this time. They have a grittiness period, and I know Craig has a lot to do with that, but they find ways to, to, to be successful. That's how that's I view this group. Uh, you know, the backside of their bullpen's outstanding. The team on the field is good. Uh, there's nothing, there's not a greatness about them, but they do play well together. They, their defense, the thing about with the Cubs, that always, they, they reminded me, the, the Brewers are the Rays when I was, when I was with the Rays in a lot of ways, because when you hit a ball hard, it always seems like a defender standing right there. It was very frustrating with the Cubs as the Brewers ascended that their defense was positioned so well. Matty Arnold, I know him, uh, you know, with the with the Brewers right now in charge, so I there's all these little ancillary benefits or, or components of the Brewers that I think plays and plays well this time of the year. So that's that's why I like. I mean, I, I like them for that reason. I think a lot of people are going to like them for those reasons too. But I think really watch the series. Ball's going to be hit well by the Diamondbacks, and somebody's going to be standing right there. And and I still think even minus Woodruff, their pitching is good enough.
5: Yeah, I'm with you, and you're dead on about Milwaukee. They're one of the best, two three best teams in baseball, combining pitching and defense. Um, they have a very athletic defensive team, a younger team. Some of the rookies there have really helped them out defensively, T- Terang and Weimer and Monasterio. Uh, so, yes, they have a thin margin of error. They're not going to score a lot of runs, but neither do the Diamondbacks. So the Diamondbacks come in with the highest ERA of any postseason team, They cannot start Gallon in game one because they had to use him over the weekend. So Brandon Fought gets the ball in game one against Burns. That's a tough matchup. Goes against Arizona. They did not hit at all in the last week of the season. So, yeah, I I think it'll be competitive, low-scoring games. But you know what? The Brewers love those kind of games. And with Craig Council, they find a way, usually, to win those games. All right, the other wild-card series, the Marlins At the Phillies. Now, the Marlins won the season series seven to six. You can take that for whatever it's worth. I, Joe, I'd never put a ton of stock in the season matchups because you're looking at you cut down your rotation, you cut down your bullpen guys. It's a different game, you know, in the postseason and the regular season. That being said, who do you like? Marlins at the Phillies.
1: Well, I, I, I was on the Phillies all year. Uh, I think, you know, the Marlins are in that ascending mode. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, the Phillies, what did they win, 89 or 90 games only? Yeah, 90. I mean, that's part of what's going on. That's what's going on right now. I mean, a lot of teams that normally would not have made playoffs in the past are making the playoffs now. There's a, Again, there's a, there's a parity component to all this. And, and I think, again, a lot of it may be uh, based on methods and how they're being employed and how teams are going about their business. And there's a lot of sameness happening right here. So having said all that, I know, obviously, I, I, I do believe that the Phillies are a better, uh, more battle-tested team. Uh, but again, I do like a lot um, the late-season acquisitions made by the Marlins in regards to making them a different group going into the end of the year. Berger's a good hitter, man. Uh, he's a very good hitter. And Abel, I mean, he I saw him with Pittsburgh when he first came on the scene. And, and when he gets hot, man, if he gets to one of those moments, uh, heads up, and Georgie Soler, uh Jorge didn't get a whole lot of, uh, you know, cr- uh, uh, press or credit in a sense. But he was really big for the Cubs when I was there. Was huge for the Braves. And so you never know. Um, so overall, I think it's going to be a good series. I think it's going to be a tight series. Uh, but I do like the Phillies' uh, grit. Again, I, I like to use that word. Uh, a little more battle-tested, I think, during the rise of the occasion in Philadelphia. And, um, you know, it's going to be difficult for the, for the Marlins to go into that pit there. Uh, and breathe and see how well they can do. So uh, interesting, yes, but I do like the Phillies in this moment.
5: Yeah, I need to know uh, how Luis Araiz is. You know, he hasn't really played much in the last week because he he turned his ankle. Actually, yeah, he did it that. on the dugout steps after a lot of these ballparks. Now they turned the lights down to have these dramatic entrances for their closers. Tanner Scott was coming in, so they turned the lights down and on and off and strobe effect, and that's how he <laughs> he hurt his ankle. Um, I do like their left handed pitching. You know, Lazardo and Braxton Garrett will get the ball against the Phillies. But you know what? The Phillies, lefties don't bother them. Yeah. I know you look at their lineup and you see Harper and you see Stott and you see some of these guys, but. They're actually they went thirty and twenty one against left handed pitching. I don't think that by itself is a big deal. I do agree with you, Joe, that it's such a tough minded Philadelphia team, especially in their ballpark. I love the way they've played the last two months of the season. I do think they're playing their best baseball this season. Um, Marlins were outscored by fifty five runs in the course of the season. I don't see a team like that taking out an offense like the one Philadelphia has. A lot to me depends, Joe, on Aaron Nola. You know he's had an up and down year. Mm-hmm. He had an ERA over five in September. When he's good, he can dominate. To me, it all is about his breaking ball. When he can command and land that breaking ball when he wants, he is an ace. And uh, I, I think they can go really far. But I, they definitely need Aaron Nola to be on the better side. So I, I'm taking the Phillies as well.
1: Well, I was just just to say, I, I like Stott a lot. I I love that kid. I love the way he plays. I love his at bats. And, of course, Harper. So when it comes to lefties and, and Schwerbs, I mean, think about it. I mean, Lazardo's got a great arm. I understand that. But uh, does, that doesn't bother Schwerb. He's going he's gonna to go up there with a definite plan. If he makes a mistake in his area, it's going to get hit hard. Uh, Harper is going to battle. And Stott is just a good hitter. Brandon Marsh, I don't know what they're doing right there. But Marsh had a really good year. And he's really come on right now, too. And the fact that they permitted their lefties to face lefties, we were talking about the platoon advantage earlier uh, regarding the Giants. Um, and you get to leaving your better players out there all the time and fighting through and learning how to, to compete better against lefties, I think is going to uh, pay dividends for the Phillies right now. So, uh, uh, yeah, uh, there's a lot of stuff there, and I, I agree with that. I think um, the lefties will, will handle the lefties. Nola, uh what's going to happen there, uh, Robbie's just going to be very quick with him. Um, he's going to have to keep a close eye on him. Wheeler's the man. I mean, here's the guy when I was with the Angels. I wanted I wanted the Angels to – Acquire Wheeler first, and I thought if you could acquire Wheeler, you might be able to get Garrett Cole because he's saying that the Angels are really making an attempt to uh, improve right now. So I've been a Wheeler guy for years. I actually, went to his house in Atlanta in a recruiting trip. I really think he's that good. And I, but I just like I said, when it comes to Nola, I would uh, bet that Robbie's going to keep a closer eye on him this time around.
5: Yeah, I'll double up on Wheeler as well, Joe. Um, I love the fact that he's a high-velocity guy without max effort. He's got a very smooth delivery. He's got a long stride. That ball just jumps out of his hand, sort of like Garrett Cole. And man, he can just eat up right-handers. He uses two seams and four seams as well as any pitcher around in terms of keeping you off balance. There's a lot of fastballs, but no two actually very much the same. So yeah, I have no problems with Wheeler. He's a true ace, uh, but they're going to need Aaron Nola. Hey, Joe, that reminds me, we're getting in a situation now. You mentioned Robbie Thompson, maybe getting Nola out won't really stick with him. These three-game series here, especially in game one, yep. if you're a manager and maybe even the manager on the road, getting your team, A, prepared to play these games, and then, two, B, running these games, right. give me a little window on how it might be different.
1: Yeah, your aggressive state of mind, you have to be. You, you can't tolerate, you can't put up with you. And we're talking about pitching primarily. Um, the other thing is, if you're really a uh, built on pinch hitting and and the uh, platoon matchup, that may happen earlier in the game too. Uh, you might have to just take that opportunity or that chance. You're always aware of the handedness of the closer on that team. For instance, if you have a if they have a lefty closer, which Texas does, you might might be more reticent to pop your left handed other hitter uh, earlier in the game. But then again, if you lose that moment, you may never that be, may become a moot point later in the game. <clears throat> so you're just going to be more assertive, aggressive, uh, making moves early regarding uh, a variety of different things. I mean, I wouldn't get away from normal patterns. I think that was brought up early. Like if you run, you run uh, the same way you ran earlier in the season. Run right now. If you're going to play the infield in, like you did earlier in the season, play the infield in now. Don't get away from normal patterns. Uh, don't don't become tentative. Uh, don't think you have to do something differently. As that's one of the main things I bring up to my team to not uh, feel that way. That Where you do become different, I believe, is with your pitching staff and your bullpen. That's where the difference really shows up. It's not a National League game. The National League game made you possibly make moves early based on the scenarios that I described with the pinch hitting. It's probably where you're more tolerant now in an America League or a DH game, but you can't, you can't be tolerant with your pitching because in this situation, the shortness of the series uh, and the importance, obviously, of, of that very first game you just gotta be aggressive. There's there's no waiting around.
5: Yeah, I love that fact. It is a, a game played with urgency. There's no question. I always feel like obviously game three game series, game one is just enormous. It's important for these teams to especially on the road to try to steal that one. Hey, when we get back, I know you want to hear it, and we'll do it. We'll jump right to the World Series. Who do we have in the World Series this year? Stick around for that. It's the Book of Joe podcast with me, Tom Verducci, and Joe Madden, World Series winning manager, 2016 Chicago Cubs. And you want to know who's going to win the World Series this year? Well, it's an interesting postseason field. There's no Red Sox and Yankees for only the second time in 30 years. There's no Cardinals. There's no Mets. There's no Padres. Three biggest spenders will be watching this postseason at home. So we've got some stalwarts, the Braves, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Rays. They've been in it just about every year, the last five, six, seven years. And and some newcomers back in the show, like the Orioles and the Diamondbacks. So we'll see where this goes, Joe. But um, I'm going to give you my World Series picks right here, because I know the chalk is the Atlanta Braves, and why not? It's literally the greatest slugging team in either the National League or American League history, slugged over 500 These games, and and I know we're both fans of playing small ball and executing, but these postseason games turn more on hitting home runs than anything else. You hit a second home run, you're going to win about 75% of the time. And Atlanta just has so much thunder in their lineup. They can beat you with five or six hits because two or three of those are going to be home runs. Have to try to keep that team in the ballpark. They're going to be hard to hold down. They have the best player on the planet right now, and Ronald Acuna Jr. So let me start by saying they're the chalk, but I'm going against the chalk. I like the Philadelphia Phillies coming out of the National League. I think they can hit with the Braves. Uh, Obviously, they took them out last year in a postseason environment. I think the Braves are a little bit vulnerable. Injuries to Charlie Morton. We don't know about the blister for Max Fried. Uh, The bullpen is good. But I think the Phillies bullpen can hang with them. They're just as good. I think it's a deeper bullpen than Rob Thompson has this year than last year. Uh, so my National
1: League pick is
5: going to be the Philadelphia Phillies. How about
1: that? Well, I love it. I actually love it. Um, God, I mean, I know the – I'm watching the Braves at the end of the year and they've been faltering a bit and they still had about 103 wins, something crazy like that. I do like the Phillies also. Uh, I do. I didn't realize the statistical component of the home runs in the postseason because I know there's so many points in the game that the ball's just got to be moved in order to score a run. And to what extent, if you did that more often, would the the home run become less important if teams could actually create runs? I think maybe with the stolen base this year, you might see a different uh, method regarding um, scoring some runs. But uh, the Phillies side of things, uh, I do... I hate to agree with that I don't. I don't hate to agree with you. But I, <laughs> I, I like them. I, I liked them from the beginning of the year. I like the Phillies. We talked about that. I remember uh, early on, I was on them, and your concern was about Bryce Harper being out and how long he was going to be out. Uh, and then they did, They got off to the bad start, but all of a sudden they've caught their breath. And I like their clubhouse. I like their attitude. I like their grit. And not to say I don't like um, Atlanta for the same reasons, but um, from the beginning I thought this is a possibility. Uh, and right now they're they're playing with that, 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 uh, that fire in their eyeballs. I don't get to see Atlanta as, as much. And I know Acuna is Acuna. I get that. Love Olson. Nobody even talks about him. But uh, why can't you? I mean, I but I and at the end of the day, I have to say uh, I'm on I'm on the Philly train right now.
5: Yeah. You know, listen, Philadelphia's a different team right now. I said they're playing their best baseball. Part of that, as you mentioned, Harper, you know, coming off the Tommy John surgery had no power when he first got back, but he's back at full strength. You know, he loves the big moment. And the difference maker to me is Trey Turner. Yep. I mean, the way he played these last two months, that's the superstar player they signed. So they're playing their best baseball. We should mention the LA Dodgers, Joe, because I think it's going to be a different postseason for the Dodgers. And I think there's tremendous amount of, you want to call it, pressure or responsibility on Dave Roberts because he's going to have to win games with his bullpen. His starting pitchers, and you can probably mark this down, I'm not sure if anybody's going to face more than 18 batters. He just doesn't have that kind of rotation. You know, Clayton Kershaw is being really, really good, but he can only go 60, 70, maybe 80 pitches at this point with the shoulder. You've got Bobby Miller, lights out stuff, but he's beyond his innings, you know, high as a rookie Uh, and I just think this is the way Dave Roberts runs games. Uh, His last 12 postseason games, no one has gone beyond the fifth inning for the Dodgers. He's got a great bullpen. He will go to it early and often. I think it's easy to do early in the postseason calendar. Don't forget, in the division series for the National League this year, you play game one, there's an off day. You play game two, there's an off day. Six of his first eight games, potentially, he will go in with a – fully rested bullpen with days off before those games. So he can do that. I think eventually it may catch up to you. But listen, I think this is going to be a theme throughout the postseason. You're going to see relief pitchers throw basically as many innings, if not more, than starting pitchers across the board in baseball. It's just the way it is, and especially with the off days. The Dodgers will try to max that out. I I think eventually it's going to come back and catch up to them, but that's their path to get to the World Series is through their bullpen.
1: Amen. Hey man, you're absolutely right, and I, I know that would be part of the, um, the the meetings that they go through right now, uh, pre- preparing for these different teams. The way the schedule sets up, that there are that many off days, it is a bullpen series just based on that alone, and you're right, 100% right. That's the way it's going to go. And I know that group, I know Andrew likes that kind of a method also, so I, I believe um, you're going to see that. And the, and the way the schedule breaks as a manager, then you could be more aggressive Comfortably, because you know you're going to have rested people uh, come your next time out. Um, So I I don't don't understand exactly why that was made that way, uh, but absolutely benefits the team that is going to rely uh, more on uh, relievers and starters.
5: Okay, let's talk about the American League, Joe. I, I, I think to me the American League, the way the brackets are going to fall, was set up in the final weekend of the season when the Texas Rangers had a division title in hand They clinched a postseason berth on a Saturday and boy, did they celebrate the Astros clinched the postseason spot and they're like, yeah, we're not done yet. Mm -hmm. The next day, Texas comes back and I'm not saying there's a direct correlation, but you got to feel like emotionally they let down a little bit. They couldn't score a single run against Seattle. They fell into the wild card spot. So rather than a buy in the first round, they wind up having to fly from Seattle to Tampa to play in the most difficult place to win a game in the American League, and that's the trop. That is a huge downfall for the Texas Rangers. By the way, they lost that last game of the season. Flip side, Houston, back as division winners, huge advantage with the buy. If they went into a division series or wild card series. Justin Verlander would not have been able to take the ball in game one because he pitched over the weekend in Seattle. Now they get Verlander, who was terrific in the last week of the season, rested for a game one in the division series with Framber Valdez behind him. I, I think that to me set up this entire postseason schedule in the American League. The Astros, and all due respect to the Orioles, because I, I think they're actually underrated, <laughs> even though they have the best record in the American League, their starting pitching is way better than people think. Mm-hmm. I am not going against the Houston Astros. I saw that in the last week of the season, Joe. They come off losing a series, swept at home by the Kansas City Royals. So they go on the road to play at Seattle in Arizona, and they go five and one and win the division title. Do not count this team out. Michael Brantley's back in the lineup. I mean, they just—you talk about pedigrees. I, they remind me, and I know this is a little bit of a hyperbole. Like the '90s Yankees, you remember that team, Joe? Mm-hmm. No matter what situation you had them in, they would find an answer. I'm not saying they're going to win, and rattle off three championships in a row, but what I am saying is, don't count this team out until they're actually
1: out. Well, I mean, first of all, uh, to for the Rangers to uh, put themselves in that position, um, really hard to imagine. I, it is. It's a great advantage for the Astros. It's a great disadvantage for Texas to have to fly, like you say, from Seattle to Tampa, and then have to play in that ballpark there. And that was always my goal when I was at the Rays manager. I wanted that. I wanted to call it the pit. I wanted that place to be the pit. I wanted when people walked in that building, they know where they were at, that it was going to be very difficult to win. The sight lines are different. Uh, your depth perception is different. Uh, everything about it, just the barometric pressure felt different. Everything about that place is different, and it's uncomfortable. Um, when you make when you have to come in now, we got beaten there. Yes, the, the Rangers did beat us there back in the day because uh, Belcher was so good. But tremendous disadvantage for the uh, Rangers to have to make that trip, play that team in that building, and forfeit some of the rest they could have had otherwise. Now, having said that, I mean, you're, and you're talking about the Astros, and yeah, they're they're great and they're wonderful, and uh, everybody seems to be clicking. But what, what's up with their record at home? I don't get. I, it. I, I, you I, have I don't any, get it. I mean, is there any is there any concrete Reasoning behind that because again they go on the road, go five and one. Had they played at home, would they've gone five and one? Which is kind of like uh, again incongruent because it's based on their history. There, I know we've gotten past it, but the fact that they, all the things that have been going on there—the banging on the trash can, et cetera, and the advantages they've had there, now all of a sudden it's a disadvantage. I don't understand. I I don't even love to know any kind of theories regarding that. Uh, having said all that, if you're picking the Astros, I'm still picking Baltimore. Um, I'm staying with my guys up there. I'm staying with Brandon, staying with that athletic team, because they do play well in Houston also. I don't know what the deal is with Houston in Baltimore, but uh, there's something about the Orioles right now, Uh, their athleticism. And, again, talking about grit, they're like the American League version of the Phillies to me, and that'd be a great uh, replay from years ago. what was in the 80s uh, Phillies and the yeah, Orioles. Isn't that true? Yeah. Uh, Good travel series too, yeah, by I the mean way. That, <laughs> yeah, it's a tremendous travel series, but, uh, I can see that happening. Um, I don't think Baltimore's going to back off these guys. Uh, I don't want to use the phrase team of destiny, but definitely there's something about them. That's so attractive to me. Uh, I think Hyder's done a great job leading them despite being Hyder, Brandon, Brandon Hyde, um, He's got the stoic method about him. He's uh he's the one of the funniest guys that you'll never really realize that he's being he's funny. He doesn't even know he's funny. But he's also really bright and he knows he knows he knows what he's doing out there. He knows what he knows what he knows, if that makes any sense. So there's all these little things going on there in Baltimore. I think their fan base is gonna show up. So uh yes, don't disagree. But the 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 thing, the incongruities about the Houston at home and on the road is weird. But I just think that Baltimore's the team that's gonna get it done this year. Baltimore, Philadelphia.
5: Yeah, let me first address the Houston thing because there, there was mm-hmm. a story that they, they repainted the batter's eye in center field there in Houston. That might have something to do with it. I think that's baloney. Mm-hmm. Joe, I don't know about you, but when I look at home road splits, mm-hmm. I really don't try to explain them. I, I think it's just a function of how you're playing at a particular time Why would the Houston Astros be a bad team at home? A losing record at home. Only the 2001 Braves in a full season ever made the postseason with a losing record. Mm -hmm. I I don't put faith in those kinds of things. It doesn't make any sense. If you want to tell me that a right-handed hitter is better at Fenway Park because it's a hitter's park or hitting in Colorado, yeah, over the course of time, that's going to show up. Why the Houston Astros would be a sub-500 team at home I'm not going to try to explain it. I think it's an anomaly and that's it.
1: I, I think it has absolutely no bearing on what happens in this postseason. There's something in their heads. I mean, that would be the only thing. There's no- nothing that's logical, nothing that makes sense, nothing that's worth exploring. It's just something that's human and, phys- and, and human. Um, there's something. I don't know. There's something that they probably talk about among each other. And is it something that they could overcome and get beyond? Or is there something legitimately – different about the ballpark that uh, we don't know about, uh, that they know about. So I'm just curious. I would watch it. I don't think it's just necessarily going to go away because they do. They, they think about it. They've, t- they've heard about it. They talk about it. So there might be something minutely different about it that we don't, we don't understand.
5: Yeah. Um, as far as the Orioles, I- I'm with you on Baltimore. I-, I think, to me, they're the best rally team in the postseason. I've seen them come from behind so many times this year. And let me tell you, folks, that is worth something when you get to October. This team believes that it's never out of a game. They don't hope. They believe they're coming back. And I think the reason for that, Joe, is uh, they play very unselfishly. I think Brandon Hyde has really instilled that, that core discipline in this group. Mm-hmm. Uh, their superstars are very humble. I'm talking about Gunnar Henderson, and Adley Rushman. Um, they play team baseball. I think when they move that fence back and up in left field, not only did it help their pitchers who all of a sudden started pouring strikes over the plate. It's like try to hit it out and, and you can't hit it out to left field. It has helped their offense as well. It's not an easy yard to leave to the pull side for right handed hitters. So that encourages players to use the whole field. And that, that to me, defines Baltimore as a great rally team. They'll do what they need to do. They're not trying to get back into a game with one big swing. Uh, So when you watch the Orioles play in this postseason, I think they're going to play the same way. They will come from behind on people. My only concern here, and I've got them in the LCS, so it's not like I I think they're going to get knocked out and jumped early, but the loss of Felix Bautista a lockdown closer who punched out about 50% of the batters he's faced. That's big to me. And I know Cano came in and did a nice job, but he hasn't been in that role long. The situations get bigger in the postseason, and it's, it moves everybody else in your bullpen carousel up a little bit. Uh, I, I think push comes to shove because I've got Houston over Baltimore. Dusty Baker has more and better options to win a game late than Brandon Hyde. Not a lot more, but uh, Abreu, Brian Abreu has just been amazing to get to uh, Ryan Presley, and Abreu can get, get out there and get you five or six different outs, and even Presley can get you more than three. Uh, that's the one edge I see. And again, maybe that home record for Houston means something. Maybe it doesn't, but I know this. You put them on the road, have to win a game six or seven
1: to get to the World Series, they absolutely can do it. No question, they can. But can they do it in Baltimore against that group, just like you described them? Um, I think it's going to be fast. That's that's really interesting to me. I love to see it come down to that. Um, those two guys playing each other, and uh, and again, if the if it in my mind's eye, if it all works out like I can see it working out, it'll be like looking in a mirror. Philly looking at Baltimore, Baltimore looking at Philadelphia. Uh, two very similar teams in regards to uh, their cities, their fan base, where they come from the kind of teams that they have. Uh, If you want to throw back series, you want to turn back the clock a little bit. I don't think it'd get any better than that.
5: I'm with you. Sign me up. I I would take that. Here I am. I have the Phillies over the Astros in the World Series, a rematch of last year with a different result. But, uh, man, I've loved watching this Baltimore team all year long. Uh, Two great fan bases. And like I said, it's Can't beat the travel. (laughs) You're right there. Ninety-five. Come on, (laughs) (laughs) P and K. That's awesome. That'd be awesome. So, who's your final pick? I mean, we heard about your pennant winners. Who you got uh, winning it all?
1: Well, like I said, they're looking in the mirror, and uh, at the end of the day, even just based on regular season record, I'm taking Baltimore. I'm taking the Orioles. I'm taking my boy uh, to go all the way this year. Um, They won over 100 games. Uh, They did it in a really good division. They're absolutely battle-tested. I think they're – I just love the way their players go about their business. does not – it reminds me kind of my 2016 Cubs and even to a certain extent the um, the Rays, but there, there's a lot of young guys there that don't act like young guys. And um, uh, there's a couple – just a couple sprinkled veterans in there. Uh, I don't think they're going to be uh, intimidated by anything. Um, I think when something bad happens, they're going to bounce back from it quickly. And uh, I just think overall talent-wise – uh, what they got going on in the field, I kind of like it. I like you did mention Trey Turner. I think he's like he's going to be like the the alpha thing with, for the Phillies. He's going to really come on strong at this time of the year. I think he's going to really show how good he is. He's been showing that, but the people that doubted his abilities earlier on are really going to see him showcased um, during the playoffs. But at the end of the day, I like I like the makeup. I like the makeup of the Orioles. I like the way they, and I don't dislike the Phillies, but I really like this this. Um, when I look at when I watch them on the game, on TV, when I see these guys and I hear them talk, I just uh, there's a humility about them like you suggested, and there's an absolute um, they believe they believe in themselves and each other. So I got Baltimore.
5: It's a good call and uh, boy, I can't wait to see and hear the energy in that ballpark. When it's been a while, essentially a, you know a generation of younger fans who haven't seen your team you know win a postseason series and make a run. Uh, you know they're hungry. It's a great baseball town. It's good to see baseball back and alive in Baltimore these days. Well, this is fun, Joe. I mean, let the games begin. Yeah. Postseason baseball is here. Uh, we're going to have to come back later in the week and do a very similar preview and pick on the division series once our, the matchups are set from this wild card series. So um, to take us out for the start of the postseason fun, who do you have for us today?
1: I have Jordan Peterson. I've really been following this guy a lot um, from Canadian dude, doctor, psychologist, psychiatrist. Uh, Really, I I love listening to him. He's got a lot of wonderful points and theories and he expresses himself so well. But again, here it goes because it applies. Uh, When you have something to say, silence is a lie. You know, I I absolutely love that. Um, You know, and I think it it happens too often, especially with the advent and the popularity of social media. Uh, We tend to not say things because you don't want to, Uh, stir up the hornet's nest or have this uh, contrived group uh, uh, against you for some, uh, they they, they just combine forces kind of a thing. So when you have something to say, silence is a lie. So just tell me what you think, not what you've heard. It's on uh, one of my paintings with the um, Spy versus Spy. I love that. And again, I really enjoy uh, listening to this fellow. i got to get his book. I think it absolutely resonates for me personally. Well said. And as usual, well done, Joe. We'll meet
5: again uh, as we get into the division series round. You too, brother. Thanks a lot, man. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp.